You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Culture Determined. I'm your host, Arya Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is David Reese. David, could you please introduce yourself? My name is David Reese, and I host a terrific podcast called Election Profit Makers. Um, it's on the internet, and I co-host it with um, my childhood friend, John, who lives in North Carolina. And I live right near Beverly Hills in um, Los Angeles, California. Uh, thanks so much for coming on today. So I'm a big fan of Election Profit Makers. Thank you. And um, and you guys are doing something that uh, it seems unique to me. It, it, it's the take on politics is different than what you would get anywhere else and it's comedic satirical take but you are actually but it has this real world aspect which is related to uh online <laughs> uh, online betting markets of predicted and political outcomes and things that sort of became popular a couple cycles ago mm-hmm. um so, so could you but you, you also have an extensive background uh as a cartoonist as a uh the host of a tv show uh, a writer, performer, and all sorts of other interesting things. And uh, Get Your War On was, I guess, how I first, uh, you, you first came to my attention, you know, roughly 20 years ago, uh, which is a seminal comic uh, from the Bush administration. But so we're, but we're mainly going to be talking about electric profit makers. So how, how did the show start? I guess it was the summer of 2016 or the spring of 2016. I had called my, my old chum, John, just to catch up and see how he was doing and find out what his latest obsession was because he always goes off on these deep dives into different forms of esoterica. And that afternoon when we talked on the phone, he said that he had become obsessed with this website called predictit.org where you could bet your actual money on political outcomes, like uh, the results of elections or politicians' approval ratings in the Gallup poll or, you know, size of certain budget spending packages and stuff. And at that time, in the heady, innocent days of 2016, John was making a ton of money by betting against Trump supporters. He was basically shorting Donald Trump to win the Republican primary for president because at the time, a lot of pro-Trump people had found predicted.org and were dumping a bunch of money into you know, investing in their guy, Trump. And back then, the conventional wisdom was there was no way Trump would ever win the nomination, let alone the White House. And so John was making hundreds, if not thousands of dollars by constantly betting against Trump on these markets that kept resolving. And I thought to myself, like, that's a pretty funny idea for a podcast, because then we could be pundits who actually do pay a penalty if they get something wrong, unlike most pundits who just continue to keep their jobs, doesn't matter how catastrophically wrong you are about Oh, uh, the wisdom of invading Iraq or who's going to win the presidency. Like these people always manage to keep their jobs. Right. So we thought like it would be funny if we did it and we invested our real money because then at least if we got something wrong, we would, you know, it would cost us literally. And sure enough, on election night, John lost thousands of dollars um, as, you know, Trump basically ran the board on predicted. And at the time, our producer, Starley and I, we didn't have thousands of dollars invested in the market the way John did, but we were still unhappy with the results of the 2016 election. And then we stopped doing it. Our last episode was the morning after the election. I've, n- <laughs> I've never listened to it. I can't I'm, I imagine it's unbearable. But then uh, at some point, um, we were approached by some podcast people about bringing it back for the 2020 
was that the last election? Yeah, 2020 election. Yes. So we started up again. <laughs> and we're still at it. I don't know what the future holds, but for now we're still betting and sometimes winning and sometimes losing money. John made up his losses on 2016, the night of the 2020 presidential election. He was able to finally buy a new car based on betting on Biden in certain states, depending, you know, you can bet on individual states, who's going to win different states, what the margin of victory will be, et cetera, et cetera. So John redeemed himself uh, on election night 2020, which was good. Right. Yeah. And that was a running theme of, so I, I only got into the podcast in 2020 and yeah, a running theme was, can John make enough money to buy a new car? And, um, and he cleared like around $10,000 or something like that. Yeah, he did well for himself, which was good because his car was a real, well, he won't like me saying this, but even though he would agree privately, his car was a real piece of shit. And so um, <laughs> it was nice for him to be able to buy a new car. And I've been in his new car. I've since visited him back home in Carolina where we both grew up. And his new car is really nice. It's much better than his old car. Oh, that's great. Um, so, okay, so a lot of things I want to dig into. So one is... Um, you know, the predicted markets, was it in 2008 that they sort of either debuted or gained popularity? Somehow, I think, you know, that was like Nate Silver's debut year and Nate Silver did very well. But I think the predict like the prediction markets, or at least one version of the prediction markets, like beat Nate Silver. So it was this idea that like the wisdom of crowds would, you know, filter out the various biases. And then, you know, the night before the election, you could look at you know, the, the red and blue electoral college map. And this would be, you know, the wisdom of various people at actual money on the line would tell you, you know, as good as any other statistical polling outfit, what, you know, what was going to happen. Correct. Um, Predictit.org is technically a nonprofit project of the University of uh, New Zealand, Auckland, I think, which is why they are allowed to not, why they have not yet been yanked for being an online gambling site by the FTC. Right. It is purportedly an academic study on the wisdom of crowds, like you suggested. I don't know when predicted started. I can't remember, but I know that 2016 felt like when it really broke into mainstream consciousness. And that was probably because thanks to the 2008 election, or was it 2012, like you said, when Nate Silver, Nate Silver and 538 and all this kind of like super nerdy, dorky statistical analysis of you know, swing counties and swing districts and this idea that a certain a certain emotionless God's eye view was the way to truly determine the future of electoral politics in terms of outcomes of elections. And then predict it was kind of like came into that scene as kind of the everyman version of 538. Like, oh, we have a, we have a rational lens, too. It's people investing their real money. They literally would not like they can't afford to get things wrong. But of course, I mean, the thing that predicted has proved a stunning effect, even in my own case, personally, is like, people will totally risk losing money in favor of their political biases. Like, I had invested that Elizabeth Warren was going to be the Democratic nominee last year. Like, that obviously didn't happen. And I knew it wasn't <laughs> going to happen. But I was like, screw it. I like her the best. I'm going to invest some money, maybe somehow psychically or karmically that will lead to some uh, spiritual or financial abundance on my half, you know? But so I don't actually know. I'm sure, like, we just use predict it kind of as the peg that we base the podcast on, but I can't remember the last time I actually looked into seeing whether predict it was an accurate indicator of political futures or not. And again, right. our introduction to predict it was John making all this money off Trump supporters because 
they were just throwing so much money into Trump. And even though he did wind up winning the presidential election in 2016, there were many, many times when in terms of winning state primaries or polling or stuff, the Trump supporters who were flooding the market were just absolutely wrong and kind of blinded by their devotion to, to Trump. And remember, predicted also necessarily is not a random selection of voters or whatever. It's people who have a certain amount of money that they can burn. It, it, it seems to favor, based on, based on the comment sections, seems to favor libertarian tech bros, <laughs> you know, um, who probably have 5,000 NFT crypto tabs open on their browser while they tweet their support of Elon Musk, you know, while they trade on predicted. So it's not like, it's not a random sample at all. It's a yeah, I mean, it's group it, of it, maniacs you know, and losers like us. Right. And so it's not like, you know, professional horse handicappers or something like that, because if someone had some actual expertise in, you know, statistics or something, you think they would like get into, you know, actual gambling or something. So it, it, it is some it's like wisdom of crowds is the ideal. But, you know, the crowd is self-selecting and there's a lot of freaks and weirdos who are involved in this. And some people who are total maniacs who are saying, you know, putting money that like, um, you know, Trump would win 400 electoral college votes or, or something like that. And so there's Absolutely. all these, there's all these individual markets and there's ways to sort of ways to sort of hedge your bets and exploit like the equivalent of market inefficiencies, because you can both put money on yes for a question, but then also like bet against no and all, all these sort of weird categories they have, I guess, to just get more money churning through the system. And then sometimes you, you guys talk about how you can see that, you know, people flooded into like one part of the, of a particular market related to a particular political question, but like the inverse or the opposite of something of that market, like is totally undercapitalized or something. And you can get in that way and sort of hedge your bets in, in some strange way. Yeah, that happens. There's multiple political outcomes that unpredicted are represented by different, different markets that are worded slightly differently so that there's different positions you can take. So sometimes a big market will be on the splash page of predicted and everyone will flood their money into it because I think markets are capped at maybe 10,000 traders, I can't remember, but there's only a, there's a limit as to, first of all, how much money any individual trader can invest in a single market. And there's also a limit on how many traders can be active in a market. So there are plenty of markets that get super hot and you're locked out if you don't already own at least one share in that market. But then sometimes predict it will come up with another market, another wager that essentially captures the same potential realities and then you can swoop into that. So. I mean, I don't think John spends nearly as much time on Predict It Now as he did in 2016 because he's come up with other obsessions and rabbit holes to go down. But on 2016, I think he was, you know, he was going crazy on Predict It like 16 hours a day and he would cover all known possible predicted outcomes for Trump-related markets and stuff. Right. And and so we just specified, you know, like this is a comedy podcast. And so you're, really, you're using the... Um, you know, this is the conceit and you do, you talk about it less now because it's not like there's, um, you know, 50, uh, electoral college, uh, votes that you can bet on, but you know, you guys are, you know, John is sort of the straight man. You're the, you know, wackadoo host and you're, you guys make a great pair and bounce off of each other in, in ways that are very entertaining. So I would recommend everyone just, if you're looking at this, you probably, you know, enjoy thinking about politics and, 
so forth. So check out. And the if podcast. you look at my avatar, you can see I'm a lot of fun and I love to laugh. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So for various reasons, you are represented solely by a photo. But um, but yeah. Okay. So but there's so okay. So last year I had a running debate with my former boss Bob Wright, the guy who founded Blogging Heads, where he was always very. He's a naturally pessimistic person, and she he was always looking for signs that Biden was going to lose, Trump was going to win. And, and one of the signs was he would be checking, I don't know if it's predicted or some sort of aggregate of various other election, um, you know, like betting markets. And he would say something like, well, you know, Biden has fallen three cents in the past 48 hours. And he would take that as a sign that like the odds of Biden winning had decreased by 3% or something like that. And I was, uh, and listening to your show sort of educated me in how strange these markets are. And it's not like the stock market where the ideal of the stock market is like the best, you know, the price at any moment is like the accumulated intelligence of the globe and every person has an interest in it. Like that's the best guess of what the stock is worth. At least that's the like, I don't know, macroeconomic theory of the the stock market. That's the fable they tell us about the stock market. Right. But, but predict it is so weird that these gyrations and so forth, like cannot be taken as saying like, Oh, the polls have full, Fallen consistently ten points over the past month or something like there's just a bunch of strangeness associated with this and so and as more freaks have gotten involved in politics and Donald Trump attracted a lot of those types just like total wide-eyed believers you know they they're funneling money and you know I, I guess it's maybe somewhat so much like the AMC stock whatever like people who are just like yeah let's just funnel the money in um, and and these the the ideal of the wisdom of crowds sort of thing seem to dissipate. And so <laughs> another aspect of the site is that you can ride the waves. And so you call yourself the original wave rider on the show because you can get out of a market if you think it's overpriced and then cash out. So you don't have to wait for the market to resolve and either get 100% or 0%. If you, if you put in at 30 and it's risen to 50, but you think it's actually 40, you can get out at 50 and take your 20 and you made a tidy profit. And so you can sort of surf the waves of like popular sentiment or irrational madness that's flowing through the country funnel, you know, funneled into the website and, and make some amount of actual money that way. It's not just saying what, like if, if you think something is going to become popular, even if it's not ultimately going to resolve into yes, then you can make money by putting your, by putting, investing temporarily and then taking it out. Do I, do I have this all right? That's all correct. And that is really that experience of riding waves of investing in a market and then hopping out when the price feels overvalued and then maybe leaving one share still in your portfolio in that market so that you're not closed out of the market. And then you jump back in maybe 20 minutes later, maybe two weeks later when you think the market is undervalued. I mean, that truly teaches you. It's a, it's a neat way when you look at the price history of some of these markets it really does capture the sort of mania and the swings that are basically, I guess, the bread and butter of 21st century cable news punditry, right? <laughs> People over-interpreting a gaffe said during a debate or People reading too much into one poll that comes out that's an outlier in a certain state. And then people think, oh, so-and-so has lost that state forever. You know, if you are more or less a normal person who takes the long view of politics, and I'm not saying I am that person, but I'm saying if one of your listeners is, 
those crazy swings and those manias that happen in the heat of the moment as the predicted betters get swept up in either hating or loving a particular candidate and dumping a bunch of money into something, that's a great opportunity for for normal people to actually chill out and make a little money, you know, by look by trying to be a little more rational about it. So it really does capture just the the craziness of how people think about politics and the intensity of feeling, you know, it's kind of, it has a lot in common with other online political um, arenas like Twitter or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. There's definitely like, you know, heard, I guess there's, it, it refracts in strange ways, other like actual stock market phenomena of like herd behavior or yeah, a temporary rise and then it dips back down right like this peloton thing that just happened with sex in the city <laughs> right <laughs> where their stock crashed because well here's a spoiler alert yeah spoiler for the new seat the new sex in the city reboot or sequel the uh mr big i i didn't see it i, I pieced it together because of, i have i've had to like read the tea leaves of the spoiler alerts but my understanding <laughs> right. is that carrie bradshaw's boyfriend mr big hopped on a peloton exercise bike and then died and, yeah, and they, they kill off the character, the Chris Noth character, Mr. Big. I haven't seen this either. I just cut right. the spoilers by. Uh, so, you know, you think it's just going to be Sex and the City. Just they're the our, our gals are back, you know, uh, at, at brunch. But then I guess they, they had this big twist that they kill off um, Carrie's husband, uh, Mr. Big, after he takes a Peloton ride and then has a heart attack and, and dies. So, so and that and affected this, Peloton's actual market valuation because people are like, oh, no one's going to buy Pelotons now. Yeah. So Predicted has its moments like that, you know. Yeah, and then you can you can imagine if if like someone on the show had a friend who was who worked worked at a hedge fund or something, and they put some sort of like short sell on Peloton, you know, they could have like this is just the absurdity of of markets in twenty twenty one. They could and that's and you know that's actually profit. That's something to mention with predicted is predicted has no has no uh, rules against insider trading. I mean, presumably, if you're a congressional staffer, you could be on predicted all day making a little money based on internal polling that only you have access to or something, you know? Predicted mm -hmm. is not, there's no laws against insider trading. In fact, predicted.org wants those people in the market because they want to see if that improves the the accuracy of these of these markets or yeah so ins cases. insider if you somehow have insider information like you know that a scandal is about to break in 20 minutes and then you buy or sell or something then that's like extra information and i guess that's that would be like a actually a positive thing getting back to like the original vision of the site of somehow aggregating the bulk of like known political knowledge or something if if someone had this insider tip then it right could, or something but yeah, but it, it just has a total absurd aspect to it. Okay, so that's how Predicted works, and that's sort of the conceit of the show. But you go in lots of strange directions, also. But one of the, so in addition to think to just like learning more about prediction markets from the show, um, you yourself have a perspective on like politics in 2020, 2021 that I think is an outsider's perspective, but one that is valuable and. You know, because you, your background is unusual, but you come from so, like you have experience in showbiz. You have you have um, you're definitely a political outsider. And wait, wait, like, I'm not a political outsider. I feel like I'm the most normal, <laughs> just standard liberal left political. I feel like 
I feel like 95% of podcast hosts are exactly the same as me politically. Okay, but you I'm know, not like you, an anarchist or like a No, I no, you don't have unusual political beliefs, but I think just oh, okay. so, so so what so the way you understand politics, and again, I'm describing you, so you can tell me I'm totally wrong. You know, so politics has like merged with entertainment. That's an obvious thing. Like an entertainer became president, but like Trump's bizarro psychology was closer to that of like an insane Hollywood star than an insane politician. And you, your understanding of Trump <laughs> is better than the standard pundit or even standard like lefty podcasters, I think, because you sort of understand that all he wants is attention. And, and so there's a recent conversation where you, you and John were talking about Trump endorsing various people. And John was saying something like, well, you know, if, if Trump endorses candidate XYZ and they all in primaries and they all lose, that's gonna really hurt him. And you, and you said, no, it won't hurt him at all. Like he doesn't care and his followers don't care. Like this is this crazy cult of personality. And I think that's a lot more right than like the standard either meet the press version of how politics works or not. Like, like Trump- Assuming people are rational actors, you mean? Yeah, or even that, I, I even beyond, I don't know, not even rational, just like the kind of things that, that happened 20 years ago would continue to happen. Like clearly like Trump being elected showed that some new- bizarre thing had been unleashed or there had been some sort of paradigm shift to use like a stupid term applying this. I don't know. I, I mean, does this make any sense to you? I guess a little, but again, I don't think it's that unusual. Like I'm trying to think, I guess the thing that I think I feel, and I'm sure a lot of people, I mean, I know a lot of people feel this way because I can look on social media and see it, but maybe I think the thing that has not entered really seeped into maybe mainstream political punditry is the, um, I don't think there's a, <laughs> this is going to sound pretty judgmental and I guess it is, but I don't think there's a limit to the depravity of the GOP anymore. And <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not one of these people who's like, Oh, if only we had a Republican party that we could negotiate with in good faith and we could come to compromises that left millions of Americans impoverished, you know, and stripped the bodily autonomy from women. But at least if we did it in a dignified way, it would be better. I don't, I don't believe that at all. And I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, isn't it so nice that George W. Bush gave Michelle a, a cough drop or vice versa or whichever. Like Bush, uh -huh. I mean, in terms of blood and death, Bush was probably worse than Trump, you know, in terms of you know, crimes and stuff. I mean, like crimes of against humanity, not fucking cheating on your taxes and being a real estate dipshit. I mean, like, you know, yeah, I mean, global, global, blah, 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 blah. you know, you know, everything that I'm saying, yeah. right. I just want to get all that out of the way by saying, and yet I do think that now, <sighs> I think it was like back in the day when I was doing political cartoons, like you mentioned, like God, 20 years ago or whatever. And I was reading books about uh, genocide and stuff. And it really like reading about the Rwandan genocide, it really shifted something in me forever, which is like, oh, right. Humans are capable of anything. Like when you read the details of what happened and, and anyone who's read history about war or atrocities knows this, like there's like people's norms will shift or they'll get in a crazy situation and they'll, and there's just no telling what they're capable of. And, you know, Trump gave Republicans the permission to be like, you know, like, 
yeah, fuck it. Like, let's just destroy. Like, they would rather burn it all down than to share it. You know, I really do think that's true. And there's plenty of people who will say that, but I still think there are plenty of people in the mainstream media who are like, no, you know, even fucking Joe Biden was like this. You know, once Trump leaves office, the fever will break, and then I can negotiate with Mitch McConnell again, and everything will go back to normal. It's like, mm, I don't think that's going to happen. Like, I think it's, I have a pretty dark view about what's going to happen because unlike uh, every other generation of Republicans, this generation, I mean, and they're not wrong about it, is like, oh, we're facing in the United States of America where white people are not the majority. White people are not the default face you see when you look at a CEO or a politician or a, you know, teacher or something. And that's freaking people out, you know? So I don't, I don't, I don't think the GOP is ever going to return to, I, I guess it's a pretty pr big prediction, but I'm, but I think the GOP will, has, is going to become like a permanent, uh, re more so than it's ever been maybe since maybe, I don't know, the early, the early half of the 20th century, first half, it's just going to be a permanent reactionary anti-democratic force that will that would like probably literally rather blow up the planet than let non-white people be in charge of it. Seriously. And I think mm -hmm. that explains so much of their behavior, just this nihilism. I think it, on some deep, probably inchoate level explains why they don't give a fuck about the environment. Like why should I want to save this planet? It's gonna be a bunch of black people, Mexicans running around enjoying it. Like I don't uh -huh. care about that. You know, the darkness, I think a lot of people are still having trouble wrapping their minds around. Okay. But I've so, tasted the darkness. So you, yeah, so you've seen the horror and- Yeah, I'm like the guy his head coming out of the bog in um, Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Um, okay, well, that's that's a different perspective than I was thinking. I mean- Oh, is yes. that not the perspective you were talking about? <laughs> well, I would say, okay, the, I, I, there's definitely truth to what you're saying. I, I do, I mean, the, the, the role that Trump as singular, bizarre human plays in this, uh, is or how how much of a role he plays this is unclear to me he's gonna die at some point and hopefully you know sooner rather than later from, from my perspective but once he goes he, he has no obvious successor who has this like charisma insan like insanity and sort of the fact that he actually watched fox news and believed it whereas the average fox uh, GOP politician would go on fox news and lie and know it was a lie. So like Yeah, but Trump, there's a whole new generation of people who came up under Trump. Like obviously right. But no, but Mitch all of them are, are Mitch McConnell even, is not going to turn losers. into Trump. Like so some of the people you talk about a lot Madison Cawthorn. Like Madison Cawthorn or you want like this Lauren guy Boebert. Like these people are freaks and they don't have this like Hollywood background and like the the full like you know the Trump lies of being the you know the billionaire developer and the and the, the decider and how reality TV built up this fake image of him. So he is going to pass off the scene at some point. And then, you know, like Don Jr. Can't pull off what he did. Yeah, I think you're right. I, and I hate to say it because I'm such a huge fan of Don Jr. Cause he's so cool. <laughs> and I too hate elephants, but he just doesn't have it. I think, I mean, right. Donald Trump, like Barack Obama is just like a once in a generation politician and Donald Trump, was kind of created in a way in a lab by Mark Burnett to be something he's fundamentally not, but he can play it with enough weird charisma that people believe, yeah, he's a self-made billionaire, he's successful, art of the deal, blah, blah, blah. He tells the truth. Like, 
you know, he says what he says, what everyone's thinking, that type of thing. Like every third tier shitty stand up comic you see, you know, going on at like 1159 p.m. at some underground comedy club. A lot of politicians will, you're right, haven't been that blessed to have that kind of decade of cons carefully constructed public persona. Yeah, I mean, also, Trump, Trump, Trump is an entertainer. Like, that. Who, that's who he is at his core, and he wants people's right. attention. There's, yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's hard to think of even another human who is comparable to him, not let alone a conservative in America. Um, like, he is just such a strange, like, totally unique person. Um, He's on the level that, like, Alex Jones is on. Alex Jones is also just fundamentally, obviously, an entertainer. And he's incredibly good at it. Like, before everything got too real, you know, I used to listen to Alex Jones. Like, I enjoyed it because I thought it was a goof and he was just a maniac. And it's just like anyone like and Rush Limbaugh could do this, too, even though I didn't find him entertaining. Just like anyone who could just just step in front of a microphone and talk and talk and talk for like three or four hours. And Trump can do that. Yeah, that's that's something a lot of people can't do. Don Jr. cannot rock a microphone for 60 minutes straight. Madison Cawthorn is trying. God love this fella. But I don't think he can do it either. There's just something. He can't do it. So yeah, yeah and it, Trump, and it's not going to be Dr. Oz you talked about in this yeah, week's Dr. episode. Yeah, Dr. Oz, my nemesis. And it's not going to be Herschel, whatever that guy's name Herschel is. Herschel like, Walker. So these other like B-list celebrities, they're just, I don't know, like Trump really is eating. Okay, so I, I just, and then- But if know, Tucker Carlson ran, Tucker Carlson could probably do it. He's coming from a broadcasting background. He can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. It's it's possible, but you know, Tucker is, is I don't know. I mean, it's not that I ever, like Tucker is much more niche and it seems more obvious that he knows he's lying. Whereas also Trump- he's just a, he's a nebbish. Like- Yeah, he's, he's I mean, he's more bow tie. He, he, right. He's, if he, I think he is intelligent. So he knows he could never actually win anything and will, it's a much better life staying at Fox News and, you know, being on camera two hours a day and getting a nice payday that way. Um and, and, you know, he obviously has influence within the GOP. Okay, but so, you know, Lauren Boebert is not going to take the country by storm. Like, like everyone else who is sort of in the Trump mold, they just don't have the juice, the bizarre background, the charisma. Or, okay, or that whatever. may be true, but I mean, remember that these elections are happening against opponents. I mean, if we're dunking on Madison Cawthorn for not having Trump's charisma, who on the, who on the Democrats is approaching this level of charisma? Like. The closest thing they had was Bernie in terms of a guy who could just go rock a mic and get people whipped up into a frenzy. And he couldn't even win the primary. And now he's too old right. to run again. Joe right. Biden, I mean. I, mean I, I mean, AOC comes to mind as, as like the most charismatic person in the Democratic Party. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously someone has to win and, you know, they both win roughly half the time. But I just, I don't know. I, I feel like politics, there's, there's some sort of inflection point. Politics could go into an even more insane, you know, Carvel-esque Trumpian like line, or it could just become more like the bullshit that was happening circa 2007 or something. And like, you know, Mitch, like Mitch McConnell and all these other like toads are still sticking around and, you know, no, no one is like, no one gets ribbed up by Mitch McConnell. He's like an inside operator. I don't know. Like, you know, I, I, do, I do not make predictions on, on uh, with money on the line. And I, I, any public prediction I've made in the past has probably been wrong, but um, it just, I don't know. I, I, I'm, it's not like I'm optimistic. I just think, especially if the pandemic ever ends, like it, politics will just become more regular and boring again. I mean, that was sort of the Biden promise that 
you know, let's make America boring again, kind of. I don't know. But okay. I also want to ask about some of some. Your but hold on, I want to interrupt and mention a okay, third option, which is that in the end, in the future, it won't even matter which candidates the party puts up to run for president because Republican held state legislatures will just overturn any Democratic victory on the basis of nothing and appoint their electors to the Republican. So maybe we'll just yeah. be post-candidate politics because the <laughs> the system at the state level will just be hopelessly corrupt in red states. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. And things have certainly moved in that direction over the past year. I mean, at the same time, Bill, you know, your friend Bill Scher, who you went to college with and um, provided the link between us, has noted like it is when you're the, you know, assistant secretary of state of Arizona or something, and it's your turn to like knowingly commit fraud and you realize you could go to jail for five or 10 years if it doesn't all work out and it's very unlikely that it works out. You know, the, there's so many stop points in the system. I don't know. Like this, the, the American system is such a mess and a kludge, but like that's in some way one reason why like no one ever gets a permanent majority or you can't like run the country like a dictatorship. Like it's just, it just works too poorly to have any sort of unified control. So I don't know. I think like muddling through is more likely than any permanent victory. I don't know. Um, well, I'll just say, I hope our friend Bill is correct about that. <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. He does know a lot about American history. Um, I'm starting to think based on how you just described his thoughts, he's actually never read a history book. <laughs> well, he, you know, he has his presidential biography reading series that he references. He definitely knows more I know. than He's I always like, no, the system works. Look, in 1942, Franklin Delano Roosevelt wanted to appoint an undersecretary of agriculture who didn't know anything <laughs> about soybeans. And the Ohio Soybean Council introduced a legislation in the state house that meant that every two-thirds I votes would be counterbalanced by one nay vote from a donkey or goat. And the system actually worked. It's like, Bill, you are at such a granular level. We are talking about sweeping racist fascism, like overtaking half the country. And then, be, and you know, it's like, I'm at the point now where whenever anyone mentions like the institutions will hold, will hold, like, don't worry, like things look dark, but the free press and the courts and blah, blah, blah. It's like, mm, I'm not sure about that. Like, People, yeah, and, I mean, a lot of crazy things happen in history. For There's sure. no reason to think that some crazy things couldn't happen in the United States in the 21st century. Yeah. And so I'm not, I, you know, Bill has this podcast, what, When America Worked or something like that. So he, that's his line. I'm not embracing it. I don't know. It just seems like the, the like confused muddle is more likely than anything else. And like, you know, slow decay is a decadent decline is more likely than any sort of. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying the fascists are going to come to power and the trains are going to run on time. <laughs> I'm just saying it's going to be it's going to be a mess and it might not matter who individual candidates are because parties are controlling states. OK, it's possible. I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll have to see. Well, I want to talk a little bit or have you talk a little bit about some of your favorite cast of characters um, on the national political scene, one of whom is J.D. Vance. And I guess you have sort of a sick obsession with him. Oh, well, I, I don't know if you would characterize it that way. I think he is a total fucking joke. And someone who appears on this platform, also Mickey Kaus is a big fan of his and tries to defend him. Well, Mickey Kaus has been a fucking idiot for 20 plus years. Am I allowed to say that? I mean, this guy- You are allowed to say that. Come on. This dude, um, I mean, yeah. So I, my of course, line, of course he likes J.D. Vance. That makes perfect sense. I mean, granted, I haven't read anything Mickey Kaus has written in probably 19 years, but <laughs> but the but what well, I remember of his um, predilections, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. He would be totally down with J.D. Vance. 
Um, yeah, I have my Fucking own running, hedge fund um, fake redneck, you know, like sucking on Peter Thiel's cock, trying to act like he's for the common man and anti-elite. That 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 squares with what I remember about Mickey Kaus. <laughs> okay, so so my essential line on the Ohio GOP primary is Josh Mandel, the other main candidate, is like a legit crazy guy. And J.D. Vance is pretending to be crazy. J.D. Vance is like a little twerp who went to Yale Law School. He's like, canny. Man, he's a canny operator. J.D. Vance absolutely knows what he's doing. Right. And, and he's a total phony. He, whereas Mandel seems like a legit sort of unhinged nut, much more in the Trump vein. And if, if, the, if the race is out crazy, Vance is not going to beat Mandel. Maybe there'll be some shift where the GOP base no longer wants the craziest person to be elected, but that's sort of, that's sort of how it's been over the past four years. And so I, 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 if you talk a lot about betting on Vance winning or not, I would, I would not bet on Vance winning the primary, but, but you talk more about him and you know a lot about him because he's, he subscribed to his, his newsletter or his fundraising appeals. So as of right now on predict it, the market, who will win the 2022 Ohio Republican Senate primary? Mandel and Vance are tied at 34. So what you're telling me is your gut or your analysis says that J.D. Vance is actually overvalued here, that yeah. it's a no-brainer for Josh Mandel. So if I, I were like you- I like 70-30 or something. So, okay, so that's a huge spread. So you can buy J.D. Vance no. That is, if you- if J.D. Vance does not win the primary, for every share you buy, you pays out a dollar. You can buy no at 67 cents. So that's a 30 plus percent return. That would be a good opportunity for you. <laughs> well, anyone who wants to follow my advice and has a predicted account, I would say go for it. But what are you, what, what, how are you investing your money in Ohio GOP Senate? I can't remember if I still have money in this market or if I cashed out because I got bored with J.D. Vance. Let me check. Hold on. This is going to be really exciting. This is the audio of me actually logging into. <laughs> I mean, Vance is such a phony. You know, he's like denouncing like the Hollywood perverts. Oh, a cool. oh, you're absolutely right. Surely a, a phony could made, never win a Republican primary. A movie was made about his life. None that of that like matters. This is what I'm office. saying. This is what I'm saying. That type of gotcha stuff, or he's actually a hypocrite, or did you know that Elon Musk rails against paying taxes and yet he has received government stuff? Nobody cares about that stuff. It's right, all just I, about feelings. It's but nothing it, but, but white people's feelings. Okay, I, I agree with you on that, but but Vance, he just he isn't a good enough bullshitter. Now that might be true. So he's a, he's not a good if what you're he's saying is if it's we not, agree it's not hypocrite charge, is that he can't he can't pull it off. He, he's just this like pudgy guy. He's like a media creation. I mean, obviously Trump is also a media creation, but you have this Josh Mandel. He's like a true believer. Like, I understand. Know, he, this is a compelling argument for why Mandel will win. The, I mean, if people can still see through phonies and let's admit it, maybe they can't because on many levels, Trump was a phony. Um, your argument is they'll see through J.D. Vance and Josh Mandel will run away with it. I think the more compelling argument for Mandel winning is this one. Let's assume everything you've said is true. Mandel is nuts and J.D. Vance is pretending to be nuts and people will eventually see through that. Now, if I think, I think, oh, <laughs> I think Republican primaries are won by the candidate who makes their base the most angry and aggrieved and hateful because those are the people who will go to the polls no matter what, out of spite, 
out of a sort of nihilism and out of just a deep hatred of everyone who is not like them. If J.D. Vance could somehow pull it off and rile those people up more than Josh Mandel had, then J.D. Vance could win. Whoever makes the most people the angriest wins Republican primaries. That, so J.D. That Vance, what's that? That makes sense to me. I, I just think he's he, he, like he's a paper tiger when it comes to, uh, you know, I mean, like Mandel is the re- is the real deal. JD Vance is is the knockoff version. And of I it. was tempted to agree with you, but then let's think about someone we were just talking about, Tucker Carlson. You know, we had this stretch a couple of years ago of all these disgusting things. Like, what happened to Tucker Carlson? He used to be a good faith negotiator on the right side of the aisle. Now he seems to be dipping his toes into dangerously nativist rhetoric. Surely he doesn't believe what he's saying. It's just like Alex Jones and Donald Trump. But but at some point, it doesn't matter if you believe it doesn't matter if you believe it anymore. It's just, you know, like there's yeah, I mean all that stuff collapses. Like we're not dealing with like Descartes anymore, where there are these binary distinctions between the body and the mind and sincerity (laughs) and insincerity. Like this is all post-enlightenment stuff. We're (laughs) returning to a deep, profound proto-human sludge, right? Uh-huh. All that matters is if J.D. Vance can, and actually, no, I'm going to go even more further. Voters won't even care if J.D. Vance comes across as insincere when he gives them permission to hate and be spiteful. All they want is someone to tell them that all their basest instincts, everything that they've been told by polite society their entire lives to leave in, you know, in a whisper or in the shadows or in the journals of their private diary, Anyone who gives them permission to act out on all that stuff, they're going to win. Because it's fun to be a total asshole and to act with no restrictions, you know? Right. I mean, I mean, T- Tucker is a talented performer who has been on television, you know, for 15 or 20 years. So he, whatever he says, he's good, whether it's the exact opposite of what he said a month ago. He delivers it with sincerity. Like Jenny Vance is not that. Um, so you you know, Tucker, you know, Tucker could go to Hollywood and, you know, pl- and they would give him lines to read and you would believe it. Um, Vance is just this, you know, phony. Uh, but I mean, I, I, it's not that people are like, don't like phonies. It's just they, they won't buy what he's peddling when they have the alternative of the real deal you know, someone who actually believes in all this, in all this shit. That's, that's my, that would be my final. I think the race is, I mean, I don't know. I think the race is going to be not as close as it is on predictor right now, which is to say tied, but I don't think Mandel is going to run away with it. Um, okay. So this is a perfect segue into our segment that you've debuted recently on the show, which is bad boy of the week. And it fits in with just the, idea that you know being a little being sort of a little stinker and someone who thumbs their nose at the whatever establishment the the media or the liberals or the who or something and being someone who's like you know you can't get me i play by my own rules it isn't that great you know so that trump embodied a lot of that and then there's a lot there's a number of other people who are following in those footsteps pretenders to the throne Right. Can you, so can you talk a little bit about Bad Boy of the Week? Bad Boy of the Week. You know, it's just a phenomenon that we decided to actually just start talking about regularly because it's so depressing and funny and kind of 
pathetic and also dangerous, right? This, this, the, and you know, uh, obviously America has a long tradition of anti-heroes and celebrating little stinkers and people who thumb their noses at convention and blah, 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 blah. And even in American politics, we shouldn't, we shouldn't mistakenly believe that the era of the bad boys started with Trump. There've always, right. you know, Jesse Helms, my former Senator, when I was growing up in North Carolina was a bad boy because he would do things that were deliberately offensive, you know, to the delight of his base. Right. But there's something about the contemporary American pop culture where I feel like the bad boy affect has come into really sharp focus. Um, and now it's, I think maybe this is new actually, that CE, that business titans like Elon Musk are also taking on this persona of the bad right. boy. Right, so, so Musk has won bad boy of the week and he also won Time Magazine person of the year He's the first American ago. in history to, in the same year, <laughs> be an election profit makers bad boy of the week and a Time Magazine person of the year. I've never thought about that. You're right. We should, we should celebrate this groundbreaking accomplishment. <laughs> so, I mean, there's something you know, and you, you've, you guys talk about Musk some, and you know, like Musk also seems like sort of a genuinely strange person. And that and has this strange charisma, not as much as Trump. And no, he does have a charisma. I remember watching this disappointing Werner Herzog documentary about internet culture, and he interviewed Elon Musk. And Elon Musk talked about how he woke up every night screaming, and that's why we had to get to Mars because he didn't feel like a human or something. And I came away being like, "This Elon Musk guy's like, I'm into this guy." <laughs> it was it was only over the it was, and if I had never read any of his tweets and knew nothing about his basically if I knew nothing else about Elon Musk than what I saw in that Werner Herzog documentary, I'd probably still be into him. I mean, I wouldn't devote my life to defending his honor on Twitter. Like a lot of these yahoos do, but unfortunately Elon Musk, like a lot of rich and powerful people has internalized this idea that everything he thinks must be shared with the world. And anyone who doesn't agree it's the emanation of genius, you know, must be bullied and harassed by his, by his hordes. Uh, he, yeah, he does. So he, I understand in a way why people are really into him. He just strikes me. The more I learn about him, just the more, just what a fucking idiot this guy is talking about preserving the light of human consciousness on Mars. It's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. If you take one thing away from our podcast or this conversation about election profit makers, it should be, I fucking hate Mars and humans will never live on Mars. And anyone who says they will is fucking insane. Yeah, that, that's my take on Elon Musk. You, you've done some interesting episodes where you talked about space travel and movies uh, involving outer space and, and the strange idea of what, why people have this dream of, of living on Mars instead of, instead of Earth. And you make a compelling case that this is all, this, this could never happen. But, you know, I mean, like, you could, like, Musk could be a sort of inheritor of the Trump position. I mean, he, he, he wasn't born in America, so he couldn't be elected president. And maybe, you know, maybe he'll run for like governor of Texas or something. Maybe um, they'll or, appoint him speaker of the house. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> but he, you know, he has the personal strangeness, the like, okay. Like he's, he's not a phony in the way that Trump was in terms of like business. Like his business actually is worth all this money. It's for very stupid reasons. Whereas like Trump's business was, you know, fraud and like smoke and mirrors. 
Like there is, yeah, like, but there is some smoke and mirrors to the history of Tesla Motors. You know, for oh, for a long sure. Time, well, but like, there, there are actual cars. Like, like you know, Trump, <laughs> Trump was like, yeah, even, but in real estate, I mean, Trump had actual buildings, right? But usually, it's just putting his name on it. Like he was a master of branding. You know, it was someone else. I see. It was building. a licensing he thing. He would get ten percent to put his name on there when it still was worth something. Um, whereas, like, yeah, you know, you actually can buy a Tesla, whether it's the greatest thing ever or not. Like, it it does exist. He's not just slapping his name on but but now and also he has a strange melange of like libertarian and other wacko beliefs and thinks it's really funny to say 420 or 69 or something like he, he just has a cavalcade of strange strange ticks that is somewhat similar to like 2015 trump one can say but he's not become president because of you know <laughs> because he was born in south africa or whatever but you could see him deciding giving up on his dream of Mars or something and deciding you know to enter politics in some way or you know build a floating island or something that he could be the king of and and people would like swim out to it you know just he, he has this he has a civil war bizarre charisma that obviously uh, attracts some percentage of, of people right but we're also approaching the day I mean these psych and these are I guess is cyclical but it feels it feels um, uh, what's the word unturnaroundable in the near future, which is like why why would Elon Musk ever enter politics? He has more control over politicians as a businessman than he ever would if he was working within the strictures of government that Bill Share fetishizes. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> right. So I mean, no offense like, to Bill, but it's like there's no reason for Elon Musk. Like it would just be such a huge step down for one of the richest men in the world. To be like, yeah, I guess I'll run for senator in in uh yeah that, that you never run for have to like talk to he, Joe Manchin about cutting the child tax credit. Like, why would maybe he do that? I could see him running for governor of Texas at some point? You know, know. once he, if he establishes himself as like Mister, you know, Austin, like new Austin three point or whatever. Right, right, Mister. But Alan um, he's definitely he's not going to run for Senate. But and, and and Trump ran for office as a way to get attention and sell hats in my belief. And so Musk would do it as just like a troll or full of lulls or something. He wouldn't do it because of power. He would do it because it would be funny. And then yeah, that's you know, true. he would like smoke a blunt in the Oval Office and sell an NFT of it or something like that. It's right. actually strange And then Joe Rogan would be his campaign manager and they'd probably, you know, they'd probably win Texas by, by 40 points. <laughs> it, I, it's so much like shocking to me that Musk has not deb debuted his own NFT at this point, because it would obviously like, go crazy because he has all these maniac fans and and then he could just it, would, it seems like such a simple way to for him to generate some money um but yeah so he's i mean he's the bad boy of the year i guess um now that trump is sort of deflated um okay i'm not sure well, i think we've hit most of the main things i want to discuss we were close to an hour um so anything else you want to <laughs> you want to mention before we wrap up i would say that You've brought up a lot of topics that are extremely depressing to me. It's not your fault. You did a good <laughs> job kind of covering the bases of our podcast, but I do want to let viewers know, people who are clawing their eyes out or their ears out, that we also talk about other stuff on Election Profit Makers. The podcast started because I called John to find out what his latest obsessions were. And now that he's more or less in a fallow period with Predicted, he's moved on to stuff like quantifying the beauty of Americans' urban skylines, 
playing this weird game on his phone called GeoGuessr, where you get dropped in a random Google Maps location and you have 10 seconds to figure out where on the planet you are. His most recent obsession are these things called fishing weirs, which are thousand-year-old stone walls that are built into rivers to corral fish into a shallow area where they can be captured. Yeah, I had never heard of that before. So that was yeah, neither educational aspects of like legit educational aspects of your show. And and yeah, and so John, I, I think you are a unique talent. And then John is also a unique talent in a different way because just the way his mind works and he has these ideas and then pursues them. And sometimes he's wrong. And, and one of them was related to why there are no super tall oh, skyscrapers in, in Denver, Colorado. Skyscraper, yeah. I don't but even just... want to get, I'll get too mad if we get into that. <laughs> See, people just... always say like, oh, John is the straight guy and you're the wacky guy. It's like, no, John is, John is the wacky guy. <laughs> he comes up with these wacky theories and these wacky obsessions. He's like, oh, there'll never be skyscrapers in Denver because of the high altitude already. If you built a building over so many feet high, anyone who went into a business meeting would lose their mind and give away all their company. It's like, what are you talking about? He truly believed that. Right. So it's, it's not like, you are you are the crazy one and he is the straight man because yeah he has his own like more mild mannered form of insanity that matches your more maybe extroverted persona um it appears very well is what i'll say and so the show is very funny and you go down these strange rabbit holes what was related to the um which one of the two counties that had the same name that were geographically closest to each oh, other God, in different I forgot states about the, yeah i forgot about that. just like these straight if you are sort of interested in hearing people discuss just totally arcane strange topics in both a, like a serious and an absurd way i would recommend the podcast so um so yeah um well david that's a good recommendation <laughs> yeah thank you <laughs> so david thank you thank you for coming out election profit election profit makers is the podcast and you guys are on yeah, patreon also and and you're on twitter as is john and anywhere else anything else you want to mention where people that's can fine that's fine just the podcast is is enough. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, David, um, for coming on. Uh, like I said, I'm a big fan. And thank you. Um, and people can, you know, like and subscribe to this channel and on iTunes or whatever they want to do. Um, and that's always okay. the best part of hosting a podcast, right? Yeah, I, I I've said this before, but by the time I'm wrapping up, I'm I I don't have the uh, emotional strength to do the. Right. Um, <laughs> The convincing plugs. The reviews um, really matter, guys. If you good luck, I'm the same way. No, you did a good job. You soldiered through it. You soldiered through it. Good job. <laughs> well, okay, I appreciate that from coming from a you know a, a high level practitioner of the field. Okay, so thank you, viewers and listeners. Thank you again, David, and we'll see you again next time.